ask, God, that you would just show us as a church um, how we can better care for our communities around us as, uh, as we enter into this sort of a new era. Uh, we don't know what it's going to look like. You do. You've gone before us in this. You've answered a great prayer. I pray, God, that this would not be a time where we would sit back, but we would move forward in love, caring, being gentle, compassionate. Father, I ask that you would help us to see through your word this morning um, what you have to say to a, a church that so often wants to avoid your mission and avoid your calling. I pray, God, that we would not be asleep in these days, but awake to what you've called us to. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in Jonah chapter 1, and if you haven't found your way there, I would invite you to do so. The title of today's message is, When God's People Go to Sleep. When God's People Go to Sleep. Uh, every single one of us does weird things in our sleep. Every single one of us. And if you don't think you do, it's because you just haven't had anybody to elbow you in the middle of the night and say, oh my word, what was that, you know? We talk to ourselves, some of us, I'm not going to raise hands or anything, but some of us snore significantly, um, others of us are, 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 uh, are comforter stealers, you're going to roll yourself up in the comforter and your, your spouse is left there foraging for blankets in the linen closet. Uh, others of us are sleepwalkers, uh, any of you sleepwalkers? Again, I won't ask for embarrassing stories or anything like that, but if you Google it, there are some really, really good sleepwalker stories. I don't know that any of our kids really ever were sleepwalkers, but there are some sleep talkers in our house, and there's been some funny one-way conversations going on in sleep, and again, I won't throw any of my kids under the bus or anything today, but uh, there's been some humorous stories. I was reading about some, some sleepwalkers, uh, like the girl who got up in the middle of the night and got a candy bar uh, of some sort out of a packet, and then um, uh, held it up under a light until the chocolate had melted sufficiently, and then went into her sleeping sister's room and smushed the melted chocolate on her forehead and went back to bed and had no recollection of it the following day. At least, I mean, at least that's what she said. Or the college student, that's a true story, who found his vegetarian roommate asleep next to a half-eaten steak. One guy uh, wrote online, he said, until I was 15, my younger brother and I shared a bedroom. Uh, we had bunk beds, and I had the top bunk. And he said, one night I dreamed that I was skydiving, but my chute didn't open. I hit the ground hard, but miraculously I wasn't injured, so I brushed myself off and got on to the next plane to do it again. <laughs> the next morning, he woke up with a sore arm and found out from his brother that he had jumped off his top bunk screaming, Geronimo! And he did it not once, but twice. <laughs> these, stories, these stories are humorous. And there's some other ones, some kind of ones I couldn't share here at church. But, you know, when it comes to spiritual sleepwalking, the story is not quite so funny. In fact, today we're going to find Jonah asleep. And he's both literally asleep and spiritually asleep as he is on this boat ride on his way, getting as far away from Nineveh as 
he can possibly be. And it's this spiritual slumber that is most devastating. Let's read these verses, and we're going to start back at verse 1 again, just to get the context. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 this morning of Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for the trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us who's to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. The text tells us in verse 5 that in the midst of this great storm, in the midst of this 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 terrifying storm that, that, that scared to death even most experienced seamen that were, uh, that were there. It says here that Jonah went down to the lowest part of the vessel, stretched out, and fallen to a sleep, fallen to, to a deep sleep. Here's God's prophet, not only running from God, but he's completely indifferent to the plight of the unbelievers around him. Jonah's a lot like us in many ways. We know our mission. We know how we're supposed to be living in the midst of a lost world. We know what God says. And yet, all too often, we remain asleep. So the captain comes down. He stumbles across Jonah. And he's incredulous. He's like, I can't believe someone's asleep in the middle of this. And it says in verse 6, he's like, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Call to your God. Jonah must have thought this was some kind of a nightmare as he hears the very same words from the captain as he heard from God in verse 2. Get up! And even then, he still was unwilling to do what he was asked. And so the soldiers decide to cast lots. That was a way in those, those days of trying to discern the, the favor and the will of God. Even believers would, would do this from time to time. We see it in the scriptures. We see even the casting of lots and choosing a disciple in the New Testament to replace Judas. It was a common practice. And so the lot here in this case singled out Jonah. I believe that was God's providential guiding and leading them to the source of the problem. And so Jonah was selected. They peppered him with questions in verse 8 to find out who he really is and what he's really about. They wanted to know who this man was that was causing them so much trouble. So Jonah spills the beans. He tells them the story. 
And according to verse 9, he, he gives just a really simple explanation. But then in verse 10, it says that he had told them even more and that he was fleeing from God's presence. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew exactly why he had been chosen as the one who was the problem. And as I walk through this text, again, like last week, we saw a, 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 an actual storm that represented spiritual storms. And I think what we see here this week is Jonah being actually asleep that also represented his spiritual sleepiness. And I think there's much to learn here. And I, I wondered as, as, we were, as I was looking at the text this week, what are some of the signs that might indicate that we as God's people could be spiritually asleep? What might it look like if we, like Jonah, are running from God and being asleep to what God has called us to. And the first thing I wrote down is that we're spiritually asleep when we're indifferent to God. Jonah is a prophet of God, okay? He, he was a guy who was used to hearing messages from God. And he's like, all right, I'll take that and I'll go and I'll do what you say. But here he had gotten to a point where he didn't care what God asked. We read that at the beginning of the passage. God said, you need to get up and go to Nineveh. And Jonah got up, like we said, but he went the other direction. He completely brushed off what God said. This is not an option for a prophet. That's not an option for a follower of God. Jonah scoffed at the God he worshipped. And see, what's crazy is, like, I mean, Jonah was a prophet. He was a man of God. He was someone who had fantastic theology. He tells them in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. He knows who his people are. He knows he's been called out by God to be different. And he says, I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. He gives this beautiful picture of the sovereign, mighty, all-powerful God. Here are all these sailors praying to their own false gods, and Jonah declares with authority, I can tell you about the one true God. And yet, he has the audacity to ignore and brush him off. As if he's nothing. Jonah could rehearse sound theology, yet show utter disregard for the God he claimed to know so well. Leslie Allen has said, The wonder is that Jonah can recite such a creed and yet show disrespect to the commands of the God whose sovereignty it celebrates. You know, essentially, that's what sin is. It's a disregard for God. There's, there's very few of us who can claim or say, well, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that, or I, I didn't know that's what God wanted. We have, we have God's revealed word. God has spoken. And, and most of us know it fairly well. Sin, disobedience is saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going there, God. I'm not interested, God. That's what sin is. I wonder this morning if God has revealed some way in which you've said, I'm not going to listen. Your kids have probably done it from time to time when their siblings are annoying them. They, they stick their fingers in their ear and go, la, 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 I'm not listening. Maybe even husbands and wives have done that to each other in arguments. Again, no show of hands or anything, but. That's essentially what we do when we sin. We're saying to God, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in hearing what you have to say. And 
we can tout the Bible studies that we're in, our faithfulness and church attendance, our scriptural knowledge. But at the end of the day, we hear the words of Jesus ringing in our ears. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? You put on this, this spiritual airs and, and, and have this great, fine-sounding church talk, but you're not going to listen? May God reveal if we're indifferent to Him and His Word. Closely related to this, though, I think we, we see that we're spiritually asleep when we're indifferent to our mission. When we're indifferent to our, our mission. Jonah had ignored a clear command from God. But this is crazy, okay? So he's placed on this ship. He's trying to get away from having to go and minister to the pagans, the Ninevites. And God puts him in the middle of a ship full of pagans. God is like, you're going to do this one way or the other. You are going to be a light in the midst of a dark world no matter what. And yet Jonah still refused. It was the unbelieving pagans that had to wake him up. They had to rebuke him. They had to say, why are you asleep? How can you ignore this plight? How humiliating that unbelievers were the ones reminding the prophet that he should be praying. And even then, he still didn't pray. How many times as we have parents had our kids rebuke us, whether it was directly or simply by their actions, we saw, wow, oh my goodness, I should know better. I should be acting differently. How much more difficult it is for an unbeliever pointing out, or for us, if, when an unbeliever points out our unwillingness to walk with God. We're reminded here that sin can completely wreck our prayer life. Jonah was spiritually asleep. He was indifferent to the mission that God had called him to. First, he was blowing off God directly, and, and he's blowing off the mission. One writer said that Jonah was sleeping the sleep that reflects an unawareness of danger, the sleep of one who's persuaded himself that he's safe when, in fact, he is in grave danger. One of the great dangers that we find for the American church is this danger of comfort. Jonah felt like he was safe. He thought he was getting away from God. He'd found a nice cozy bed to, to sleep in. He thought everything was fine. And so often, too, we can be lulled into thinking everything's just great. Everything's fine. We can get comfortable. We can get cozy. We can get comfortable in our rhythms and ignore the mission that God has called us to. I love how Charles Spurgeon rebukes his church in this sermon here when he says, I had sooner the Lord would send claps of thunder to this church in the form of heavy trials and troubles than we should continue to multiply and increase and should make this place a huge dormitory wherein we snored out God's praises in our sleep instead of an armory where we sharpen our swords on the Sabbath to go out the whole week long contending for God and for the good of souls. Never may these pews be beds, nor these seats couches for sluggards to recline upon. <laughs> Doesn't state it much more 
boldly and bluntly than that. Our hope and prayer is that these pews and these chairs don't become a place where we can doze off spiritually and and wander away and just kind of listlessly make our way through our spiritual journey. We should come here each Sunday to sharpen our swords to go out into battle. Not to prepare for a week of sleeping. I get it. It's easy to get confused about our role in the world. There's places in Scripture that tells us to separate. Don't be like the world. Jonah could have put a spiritual spin on this whole disobedience. God, you know how bad the Ninevites are. What would that look like if I'm rubbing shoulders with these wicked and vile people? What are other followers of you going to say when they see me spending time with such wicked people? And even on the ship. I'm not going to be up on deck. Do you know the kind of language sailors use? Do you know the kinds of things they're talking about? I don't, I don't want them to rub off on me. I'm going below deck. I'm getting separate from the world. You see how we can spiritualize our disobedience? You see how we can, we can spiritualize ignoring mission? There, there is that truth. Yes, we shouldn't be like the world. That's, that's super clear in Scripture. But what is also clear in Scripture is that we don't like separate ourselves from people who don't know Jesus. It's kind of hard to fulfill the Great Commission to make disciples if we're not going to be around people who need to be made into disciples. We need to be alert and aware and ask God to reveal if there's a heart of Jonah in us. Because I'm telling you what, to some degree or another, there is a spirit of Jonah in each and every one of us. And, it, and, and I'm going I'm to say this like every week, because we need to be reminded that if, if we read the book of Jonah and think, what an idiot. How in the world could he do that? Oh my goodness, God told him what to do and he's just like, no. <laughs> if we read the book of Jonah like that, we're missing the point. There's a spirit of Jonah in each and every one of us. And for some of us, the spirit of Jonah runs deep. And God longs for us to be, be able to see that. We can spiritualize our disobedience. Just as Jonah did. As we prayed at the outset, we could think about the Roe v. Wade battle being overturned this week. And we could be tempted to think the battle is finished. Or we could be tempted to think that our main job is not is just making sure that, that, that states pass the right legislation that protects the lives of the unborn. And we could think that's all that we're supposed to do. But nowhere in Scripture are we called to pass legislation, but we are called to love. I'm not saying that those avenues aren't important. For sure they are. But first and foremost, as followers of Jesus, we're called to love personally and real. And, and even prayer can be a, a way of spiritualizing disobedience. You ever done that? I confess that I have. I'll just give you an example. Someone comes up to you at church this morning and you 
say, how you doing? And you can tell, you know deep down by the look on their face that they are not good at all. You know. We're not, we're not stupid. We communicate more with body language than we do our words. And you know deep down that something is not good. And they, they kind of, well, eh, I'm all right. And right then and there, you're met with a choice. You could say, ah, oh, all right, have a good week. And pretend like you didn't see anything. You can even take a, a slight step forward and say, are you having a hard time? Yeah, yeah, I am. I'll pray for you. How many of us have done that to shut it down so we don't have to enter into their life? So we don't have to enter into their suffering? You know the Spirit of God's calling you to pull them aside. Skip the sermon, for goodness sakes, and sit out there with them and weep with them. And it could be tempting to say, I'll pray for you. Or even I'll pray for you right now. And then you feel like you've done. Because prayer is super spiritual, right? But the Spirit of God is calling you further. He's calling you to walk with them. And we refuse. We can spiritualize disobedience, my brothers and sisters. We can say, I'm going to pray for these single moms now who are struggling with what to do. Or we can give a call to that one that we know and say, let's get coffee this week. I want to know how I can encourage you and bless you and help you out on this journey. Because you chose life and you're in this alone. And I can't even imagine how that feels, but I want to know. How many different realms of life is God calling us on mission? And yet we spiritualize our disobedience. May we not be asleep to our mission. And finally, this just kind of goes along with what we're saying here, but we're, we're indifferent, or we're spiritually asleep when we're indifferent to the world. And we're, when our eyes are closed to those needs around us, Jonah is out cold. There's a story in one of C.S. Lewis's collection of short stories. It's a story by the name of Shoddy Lands. And I had never, never read it or come across it until one of my boys pointed it out not too long ago. And in the story, he tells of a friend who comes for a visit and brings along his self-absorbed fiance named Peggy. And the author descends into a bored trance. He's sort of listening to Peggy drone on about herself and talk about what she likes and, and is just a completely self-absorbed person in this conversation. And so the author finds himself all of a sudden in a strange land. He, he writes, I felt as if I was suddenly banished from the real, the bright, concrete, and uh, prodigally complex world into some sort of second-rate universe that had all been put together on the cheap by an imitator. The narrator goes on to say, this land was colorless and bland. The, the shapes of people and flowers were indistinct. Only occasionally would Lewis see something with color or beauty and dimension. Daffodils or shops of women's clothes or a jewelry store. In a, in a startling moment, Peggy herself appears to Lewis and she's gigantic, tall, dwarfing all others. As the story concludes... He realizes he's in the world of Peggy, who sees only what is important to her. 
external things, handsome men, jewelry. Those are the only things in sharp focus. Everything else is out of focus, including almost every person. In fact, Lewis described through Peggy's eyes people as walking things because they weren't exactly people. They were shaped somewhat like humans. They walked on two legs, but they didn't have distinct faces. The only exception, of course, were the faces of handsome men or an attractive outfit worn by a woman. In this story, Lewis reveals the self-absorption that devastates biblical community and relationships in general. You see, when I'm focused only on me and my needs and my problems and what's going on in my life, people's faces around me begin to blur. People around us can become walking things. Not completely human, not distinct with their own sets of cares and concerns and burdens, but just shapeless forms moving past us. One of the prayers that we need to pray is for the heart of Jesus, for the eyes of Jesus, to see as Jesus saw. Because if we did, we would see ourselves much more differently like Peggy in that story who became oversized, we would shrink down if we had the humble heart of Christ. We may be more apt to reach out to the lost and the broken and the addicted and the abused and the rejected. For Christ, ministering to the hurting was never a step down. It was a step upward. For us to be the kind of awakened community that God calls us to be, we must truly see people for who they are, to see the world and be like Jesus. You see, for Jonah, he couldn't see these sailors. They weren't even there to him. He was obsessed with one thing, getting away from God. He was looking for his comfort, his peace, his security. He was doing his own thing and he was blind to the world around him. Here these sailors were screaming for their lives, crying out to gods who have no ears. And Jonah was the one person there who knew the true creator God, Yahweh. And he was asleep. My brothers and sisters, we've been called to be a light in this world. We've been called to wake up. We've been called to see the world around us, to see people around us, to hear the mission of God, and to go forth into this world. Not to be below deck, asleep, comfortable, but to be up on deck in a place of discomfort, in a place where we may not feel like we fit in. In fact, Scripture tells us we don't. We're called aliens and strangers. We're promised that we won't fit in. So let's just kind of get through that and be willing to live as weirdos in a world. Rather than hiding out or, or finding other groups of weirdos and just being with them only, let's, let's go forth and be those strangers in this world, let's, let's get on deck. Not to become like the world, but become a light in the world. 
Let me finish with this. It's easy to hear something like this and say, man, I'm feeling convicted about this. I, I feel kind of bad. I mean, I, I've lived next to this neighbor for eight years, and I've, I've never told them about Jesus. It could be easy to kind of beat ourselves up about what God's convicting us of, and, and, and God may be leading you to a place of repentance and conviction of sin. And praise God if you respond humbly to that conviction. But here's the, here's the bottom line is we need Jesus. We need Jesus to do this. There's none of us who's going to go out, out of here and by our own efforts or strength say, doggone it, I'm going to be better at this. I'm going to get out of the ship's hold and I'm going to be up on deck this week. It might work through, you know, 5 o'clock tomorrow. But we need God's grace moment by moment. We need to constantly come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, recognizing that, yes, I am going to blow it because I'm a sinner. But Jesus Christ has died in my place as my sufficiency. He has paid the price for my sin. I don't have to live in guilt over my disobedience or my blowing it. But not only do I not have to live there, he rose from the the dead to give us resurrection power to go forth in his strength, not in mine. We have the Spirit of God, if you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, to empower us and equip us with what to say, to give us courage when we feel faint and weak and we're tempted to stay in bed. So maybe more than anything, let me encourage you to pray. Come before God and say, God, I want to be someone who is spiritually awake. And ask Him truly to point out where you've been asleep. Maybe it is with your neighbor. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's with coworkers. Maybe it's even in regard to how you treat God and His mission and His calling. Ask God to reveal that, and He faithfully does. But God's so good, He never points out sin to just... Let us wallow in it. He always, it's, it's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. He always brings us to a place where we can humbly call upon Him and receive that forgiveness and go forth in new power every single day. So let's just conclude with where we started, with prayer. And uh, as we do so, I, I would love, if, if you feel led or if you want to pray either by yourself or with somebody, I would love for you to just come up front while we're, while we're praying here. Um, feel free to stay as long as you want. If God's moving in your heart, please don't pass by this opportunity. May God lead us to be people who are awake. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, you would help us to see Jonah as ourselves. To not see Jonah as this pathetic biblical character in the story, to not see Jonah down from us in the pew, but to see ourselves as one who is often tempted to ignore you, God, to ignore your clear commands to even spiritualize our disobedience. May we see ourselves as one who 
there's certain people that we just don't want to minister to. Whether that is a certain group of people or whether a name and a face is passing through our mind even right now. Lord, convict us of being Jonah. Make us aware of our sleepiness. Make us also aware of your grace. Even if we have slumbered most of our lives away, there is grace. Even if we are in the process right now of running, like Jonah, there is grace. God, I pray that we would humbly bring our spiritual slumber before you and repent and turn to you with an awakened heart and a prayerful heart that, that says, God, I, I want to be awake to your mission. God, remind us that that a a prayer that calls upon you to to reveal names and hearts and souls to whom we should minister is a prayer that you're going to answer. Give us courage, give us strength, and give us compassion for one another. Because because we're still going to doze off from time to time. We're going we're gonna to stumble. We're going to falter in this journey. God, I pray that you would awaken hearts. We're so grateful for what's taken place in the answer to the prayer of overturning Roe v. Wade. But God, there's so much work to be done. And there are hearts and souls that are desperate need of a loving touch even this morning and we awaken to what you've called us to now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you.